Your Church podcast. What makes you angry? Whether it's politics or sports or among our families, anger is easy to find. In some fields, a few have made a career out of being angry. But is anger always destructive? Can we be angry and not sin? Teaching team member David McNeely finishes the series, I Life, with this message entitled, Irate, which covers Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25 to chapter 5, verse 2, as well as Romans chapter 12, verses 14 and 17 through 21. Thank you for joining us today. Well, good morning. It is my privilege to be with you one last time this week. My name is David McNeely. I'm pastor to a young adults and young families, which I'll tell you a little bit more about here in uh, just a few minutes. But uh, we are at, right at the end of a three-week series. And this series has been called iLife. It's where we tend to look at three eyes that wreak havoc in our lives. And they all wreak havoc for all of us at some point. Now, there may be one particular one that you deal with more so than others, but they all three are going to hit us at various stages uh, in our lives. So the first week we talked about isolation. Talked about being alone, being separated and lonely from others. And how do we deal with our isolation? Well, we said we can look out at the world and demand that the world would take away our loneliness, and that doesn't typically work. We can look inward and become numb, try to not feel over it, ignore it. That doesn't work either. Well, we said the best option is actually to look up, to ask that God would do something about our loneliness, to step into his presence. And once we are in his presence, then we're in a position to then appropriately ask others to fulfill the God-given roles that they have in our lives, and we would fulfill in theirs as well. Last week, we talked about insecurity. There's two levels of insecurity. There's a surface level to it that really is more of the externals. It could be the things that we say or the way that we look or our personality. It could be things like that, but there's a deeper level that has to do with how we construct our lives. What are we banking on? Where are we placing our hope to provide stability and security for us. We said we do oftentimes the same thing. We look out asking that others would provide that type of security for us or that circumstances would provide that type of stability for us. It could be a job, it could be relationships, whatever it may be. And that doesn't work because those things are not eternal. They change. We can look inward. We can try to make ourselves indispensable for others so they are forced to keep us around or this job is forced to keep us around and that doesn't work either because it's just a matter of time before I'm going to fail someone. So the third option, the one that really is the best option, the only real option for us that will work is to look up, to rest in the shadow of the Almighty, to believe that He, the Eternal One, is the only one who can actually provide for me the stability and security that my life and, and that my heart is longing for. My life is built on that, and I'm walking on a secure ground. Now, today, we're going to talk about being irate. We're going to start by just simply asking the question, what is irate? But I think in order for us to understand what we need to understand about irate, we've got to back up just a hair and we got to say, what is anger? There's some things we need to understand about anger in general because irate is going to be one portion of anger that we're going to talk about. Anger in and of itself is not sinful. Anger is not sin. 
Anger actually is an emotion that is declaring opposition against something. It's a God-given emotion that he places inside all of humanity. And that when it arises, we know that we are in opposition to something. We're against something that is taking place. It's just this emotion. It's a warning light, if you will. Your car will have some sort of a warning light, a check engine light. It's that light bulb that pops on. Something is wrong. I'm standing against this. Now, the reason we know that anger is not always sinful, anger should not be equated with sin, is because God gets angry. Jesus gets angry. And if God and Jesus get angry, then anger cannot be sinful in and of itself. How we deal with that anger will determine whether or not it becomes right or wrong. God is angry at sin. Jesus was angry at sin while he walked on the earth. He remains angry at sin. Jesus, if you remember, on at least two of occasions, the scriptures point out uh, his anger. He was walking towards a grave, and he's looking at the effects of sin that have taken place on the earth, the fallen condition of the earth. Because Adam and Eve chose to eat the fruit, then this thing called sin entered into the picture. And as a result of that, there's death, there's destruction, there's decay. Our bodies don't work the way they should, etc. uh, Death is introduced, and Jesus, when he's walking towards this grave, sees this. And the scriptures let us know that he calls out at it. He is angry at death. Death is not a part of his design. The thief comes to kill and to steal and destroy. Jesus says, I have come that they may have life. He's angry there at the effects of sin. Mom and dad, just real quick, it is okay for you to be angry at the effects of sin when something has happened to your child. If someone that you love dearly has been impacted physically, mentally, emotionally by the effects of sin, something perhaps they were born with, it's okay to be angry at the effects of sin. Now, do we take it on that kid? No, that would be an example of a wrong way to handle it, but being angry at that is okay. Remember another time, Jesus, while he's in front of a temple, he sees the temple that's going on, and what should be happening is people that are honoring and glorifying and declaring the praises of God. This is what should be occurring, and yet they're making a whole lot of money. And Jesus, sweet baby Jesus, grabs the whip. He takes it. He begins to drive people out. He moves them away out of that place. He is ticked off. He's angry at their sin. The anger is not a bad thing. It's a Emotion that God gave us graciously designed to let us know this is not right. So let me ask you this. Are you angry over sin? You better be. We better be angry at child trafficking. We better be angry over bullying that takes place in school. I'm not talking about just the kind where somebody maybe gets called a little name and then, you know, we got to work. I'm talking about real, genuine bullying of kids in school Um, where they are physically, emotionally damaged, we ought to get angry at that. We ought to get angry at injustice. We ought to be angry when sin is involved and our anger ought to be thrust forward towards the sin. If you find yourself never becoming angry over sin, you are not connected with the heart of God.
because he gets angry over sin. Now, there are two types of anger that I love to focus on this morning. Um, one we'll spend far more time on than the other, but the first type of anger I want us to look at is rightly focused anger. It's what we've been talking about all along. Rightly focused anger is anger that is towards, it is bent towards in the direction of sin itself. That could come in a variety of ways, but it's a rightly focused anger. Secondly is a misdirected anger. This is the anger I want us to sit on for a little bit longer, meaning that is the anger is there, but it is actually not going in the right direction. Now, right now, I bet many of us just went, ooh, yeah. There have been many times in which I have become angry with my sibling, and it wasn't really her fault. Many times I have become angry with my child, and it's not really his fault. Many times I've gotten angry at my boss, and it's not his fault. Many times I've gotten angry with my coach, and it's not his fault. Many times I've gotten angry, you fill in the blank, and it's not really their issue. It's misdirected towards them. I had an opportunity recently to talk to one of our leaders in our church, and he said, you've got to help me understand a little bit more. Our child has entered into those teenage years. And in these teenage years now, lots of things are changing. And there are moments which I don't even know if this child is a believer. I don't even know if I like this child right now. And I was able to come and say what I've been saying to parents for years and years in youth ministry, and that's this. Teenagers oftentimes have a genuine, sincere, real walk with God. But they do not have the maturity yet to understand what it's like to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit being moved by God, entrusted uh, with his power to be able to handle this certain situation. So here's what they do. They do the best they can all over the place to live for the glory of God, trying to do the right thing, say the right thing, be the right person when they need to be. And they're beating their brains in the power of their own flesh to do the right thing. And then they come home to the safest place in the world and they let their hair down. And guess who feels the brunt of it? Mom who is the safest person on the planet, mom always is going to love you. And therefore, mom gets the brunt of your misdirected anger and frustration. So now, mom, how do you handle it? You take it out on them? See, what I tend to deal with are these multiple stages of anger. Now, this is not officially from a counseling book. Uh, this is just as I've been studying the scriptures recently on this, trying to, to discern in here. Th this wrongly focused or this misdirected anger, I think, has several stages. Over here is kind of this irritation level. This is just kind of on low simmer. There's a little bit of heat that's boiling up in here. It's just, it's just low, and I'm just irritated. This is me at basically 8 o'clock in the morning. All right, 2.30 in the morning, call on me. I will be glad to come over and love you and pray with you and do whatever you need at 8 o'clock. I, I don't, okay? Just this irritated state right here. I'm just, I'm just gnarly, okay? Over here, we've got this stage of bitterness where it just, this is like a crock pot anger. It just kind of keeps going and keeps going. It's getting heated up, but it's just lingering, and it's not going anywhere, and I find my gut just stewing over it. Over here, the kind that I'm trying to focus on this morning is called irate. Irate is when it is finally boiled over, 
and it is leaking out and it is bubbling up and now others are beginning to feel it from me. They're seeing it from my, my, my face. They're hearing it from the words of my mouth. They may even be sensing it in the way that I treat them physically. Nothing too rough. It, 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 I'm just irate. Finally, over here is violent anger. This is a raging anger. This is the kind where people pull out guns on a college campus and they shoot. We ought to be angry with that. Now, how do we deal with this? We can all say various places in our lives where we've had any of these moments. I want to sit on this for a moment. But there was several years ago I was here. We were actually in the warehouse. I'm an intern. Our job was to have a campus club meeting that night with Norcross High School. And so I'm really excited. It's my very first meeting. I'm the campus leader. Um, It's my job to run the show. And so we were going to have the world's largest ice cream sundae party. All kinds of kids are invited. Large number of kids are showing up. We have gutters that you get from Home Depot. And then aluminum foil goes in there and it's just scooping ice cream in all over. Just massive, massive amounts of ice cream and sprinkles. And it's just going to be happy, happy, joy, joy. I have to go get the ice cream. Others are are fulfilling their responsibilities. But I am staying somewhere off of Jones Bridge. And I have to get to somewhere which was off of East Jones Bridge. I make the assumption, because I'm not from Atlanta, that there is something called a Jones Bridge. Jones Bridge is no longer. You know that. I did not know that. So I go to the Kroger. I get the ice cream. I get six tubs. Three of them on this arm, three of them on this arm, the scoops, and then I'm walking up, and I look immediately for the shortest line. I find that line. I go right to it. It's just a dad and his son, and there I am going, all right, let's go. Come on. I got to get there. I got to get there. And I am already, I know, I'm already going to be late because I have to figure out I had to go from this spot to this spot to this spot or all the way around. No GPS, nothing like that. Just had to go to gas station to gas station, get me to where I need to get to. I'm already late. The ice cream is here. It is beginning to melt because dad has found Joe fraternity brother from college and they're going over stories and stocks and stuff like that. So I'm saying, dude, we got to check out. The Kroger lady says, sir, it's time to check out. He just keeps talking. He has a four, maybe five-year-old son with him who also recognizes that we need to get dad's attention. So he says, dad, 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 dad. Dad's still talking. I'm still holding, and I'm beginning to think, dude, dude, answer your child. (laughs) Answer your child. Answer your child. This goes on and on. I am praying. I really am praying, God, please help. This is not going to end pretty right here. Son, dad. Daddy increases volume because that's what children do to get it to dad, dad. Oh, please, sweet Jesus, let him answer. Please. <laughs> he finally does what every kid would do. Daddy, 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 daddy. <laughs> At this moment, I lose all ability to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> I have these tubs of ice cream over here. I drop them. I turn into Chris Farley, run over to him. Dude, answer your child. He looks at me, yes, son, (laughs) 
his son said, Dad, I just wanted you to know you're awesome. Bring the little one to me. I will kill him. I, this was irate. This was boiling over. Now, was this really this man's fault? It was misdirected at him and his child. And when we unleash our irate anger, I realize what I just did. When we release that, people get damaged. Truth number one. At various times in our lives, we all will be submerged under the tidal wave of irate. I just realized I'm grammatically incorrect on this sentence. It's okay. It's intentional. It's an adjective, and I'm using it a different way. But at various times in our lives, we all will be submerged under this tidal wave of irate anger. It's going to happen and so what do we do? What do we do with it? How do we deal with it? How is it that we typically become irate? How do we typically get to this place? Uh, in a rightly focused anger, a rightly focused irate nature, um, we do this by caring far more about God's glory and man's freedom than we do our own comfort. So when I am far more consumed with God's glory, his name, his honor, and when I'm consumed with people's freedom over my own comfort, then I can have a rightly focused anger. I can be angry at sin because when people sin, it robs God of his glory and it enslaves people. What I am realizing as the years go on is that... My flesh is just not very good. My, the spirit of God inside of me is much better. And there are times in which it is so crystal clear. I get frustrated and angry with sinners because they sin. Even though they don't have the presence of God, even though Jesus has not redeemed them, even though they don't have the power to overcome, I, I get upset with them because they're sinning. And I'm far more upset with them Because it's infringing on my rights, on my comfort, on what I want from life, rather than saying, oh, God, would you free them? Would you empower them? Would you give them your ability to handle anger? Would you give them the ability to focus it in the right direction? Rightly focused versus um, uh, uh, misdirected. It's just the opposite. By caring more about my comfort than God's glory and man's freedom. This is how we typically get to this irate state of life. So on this wrong side of it, the misdirected side of being irate, this boiling over anger, um, how is it that we will go about uh, dealing with that um, there? I'm going to give you three ways that we can do this. They're going to be the same three ways you've heard all along. Uh, But I think I want to say this at this state right now. I want, before we move forward... I want you to know that I know many of you today are dealing with a significant level of anger in your life. And we are only going to scratch the surface in this particular sermon. There's no way we can get to the depths of it. So what I would commend to you is what has been beneficial for me so many times in life is to seek out a counselor, someone who is trained and skilled who can walk you through this. 
I won't share with you the story, but there was a time at, right after we moved here into Atlanta, back to Atlanta in 2003 with these two little young twins, um, that my anger just boiled over. I took it out on my kids, nothing physical. Um, I, I didn't shake them, didn't do anything like that. It was just, it was direct at them, and I went, oh, God, what am I doing? And the next morning, I called a counselor here. I walked into that counselor's office within a couple of days, and within a matter of 30 minutes, that counselor wisely walked me through, David, here, here's your issue. Do you see that? Absolutely, I see that. So profoundly helpful. Seek counseling. I have never regretted going to a counselor. The other group that I want to speak to very briefly is um, those that are in the demographic that I minister to on a consistent and regular basis, and that's the young families. When your children are 12 and under in your house, um, many times that anger and frustration can rise and boil over and be taken out on them. How do we deal with that? Our young families ministry. This very week, we'll launch a new blog site. It's coming through our church's website. There's new things that are going on on our web. Um, Great things are happening. And we will begin actually attacking this very subject here in the next few weeks on just some things that we're going to pass on to your resources that we have found to be very helpful that I can't give in in the context of this sermon. Just don't have enough time. Um, But if you find yourself in that young family's demographic, um, please take advantage of it. Great resources are going to be made available to you. You can get a calendar on the way out. I think a magnet, something like that, that has some of our events worth. But take advantage of that. Three ways that we deal with being irate. Number one, we deal with it by looking outward. By looking outward, here's what I mean. We will strong arm, manipulate, control others so that they act the way that we want them to act so that I can control my anger. This is what I typically do with my kids. This is what comes naturally to me with my children. This is far too easy to do. The Lord did something in the mail. Um, I, I know part of it may be the voice. I'm not sure it's a spiritual thing. But there's this innate longing inside of children to please dad. And there's an innate sense of fear of dad in there. And so I can manipulate and control my boys at this age to get them to do what I want them to do. And never really address what's actually going on inside of me. I would not recommend that. And when I do that, I find that I have to go and repent to my kids. We can try to, try to control, manipulate others and do that looking, by looking outward. Um, another way we do it is by looking inward. And by looking inward, I, what I mean is this. That we try to get to this place where it just doesn't bother us. I'm just not going to let anything get to me. I'm just going to let it roll off my back. I'm not going to care what it is that you do. I'm just going to leave it in your hands. This is the one that comes most naturally to me with my wife. When she does something that I get angered over, what comes naturally to me is to back up. You know what? I'm just not going to let it get to me because I, you know, I want to be a good and godly husband. I don't want to bring anything. I, it's not going to work. You know why it's not going to work? Either one of these approaches won't work because we can't stop sin from happening in the world. Until those skies rip open, until Jesus returns, there will always be sin on this planet. And sin will always cause harm. It will always bring destruction. It will always bring a level of death. And I can't get away from that. I can't get around it. I can't avoid it. And to try to stuff things inside to act as if it's not there is only going to exacerbate the problem. And the time will come when everything is stuffed so far down that I will rise up and explode eventually on others. 
I can look out, it won't help. I look in, it won't help. Third thing I can do is to look up. I can say, oh God, would you help? Now, two sides of this. Number one, we can look up to God and in a great way come before him, which we'll explain here in just a second. In a great way, come before him and say we help with this. Another way that we look up, I'm, I'm fearful of for us though, is that we look up in anger at God. Because he gave us the circumstances that he gave us, didn't he? And after all, if you're sovereign, why did you choose to do it this way? Why did you allow these circumstances to happen? Why did you give me the spouse that you gave me? Why did you give me this child? Why did you give me this friend? Why did you not provide for me a spouse? Why did you not provide for me a child? Why did you not give me this job? Or why did you put me here? Why do I have this boss in my life? Why don't I have someone else? And the list goes on and on and on and on. We get angry with God because he can do something about it and he's not. We should never get our theology from Hollywood, but I think there's a movie that came out many years ago that was very helpful in seeing this, a movie named Bruce Almighty. The basic premise behind the movie is what would happen if a person had the controls and the power of God for a period of time? What would we do with it? And the movie does a great job of putting on display. We would not do well with it at all. And so it shows that, but there's one scene, point scene here I'd love for you to see um, that points out, I think, our anger towards God. It usually is about me. I I like it when it's about me. But if it's about his glory, and if it's about others' freedom, then it can be about so much more. And I can see that perhaps God in his infinite wisdom actually put me in this particular job and this particular apartment and living this particular life because this is the way he wants me to glorify him and to search after others' freedom. How do we deal with it? How do we deal with our misdirected anger in being irate? I think the scriptures give us several clues. And we're going to look at three passages of scripture. The principles are going to be very obvious. We won't have to dig deeply in here because they're right out jumping in front of us Um, Charles Stanley is the only preacher that I'm aware of that can stand up on front of the stage and say, this morning we're going to have 13 points. And everyone go, yes. Okay. So there's going to be 12 things to look for in here. I didn't put it in the sheet because I didn't want you to look at that and then walk out. All right. 12 principles we'll see from these three passages of scripture that talk to us about how it is that we draw into the presence of God, ask for his power to change us, and then to help us to live in a manner that is consistent with the way he treats us. Ephesians chapter 4, begin reading with me in verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupt talking come out of your mouths, but only uh, only such as is good for building up as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. 
And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. I see four principles that are given to us here in the scriptures as to how it is God wants us to deal with this. Principle number one, don't let anger fester and grow. It says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. Don't let it fester and grow. Confess it quickly. Are you angry with God? We know we don't have the right to be angry with God because God doesn't sin. He does no wrong, but there's no good in trying to hide it. Psalm 88 is a wonderful psalm to look at. I think that some theologians have misappropriately said that it is the only psalm that ends without any hope. I think it ends with hope, but it is dark. It's a psalmist coming before the Lord, Jeremiah 3. That great passage where it says, great is thy faithfulness. It says mercies are new every morning. It is surrounded by just dark, dark things where a a person has come into the presence of God and said, I'm hurt and I'm angry. Bring it to him. Confess it before God. Confess before others when you are angry with them, especially when they have done something that is wrong against you. Confess that. If they have not done something that is wrong and you are angry with them, then maybe not that, that person might not be the best person to talk to. It might be an accountability partner, a close friend, someone you can go to and say, I just want to get this out in the open. Because the most dangerous life is a secret life. I want to get it open and say, I'm struggling with anger. Don't let it go down. Don't let it fester. Don't let it grow. Why? Because of the second principle I see in there. Do not let the devil hang around. When we let it fester and grow, the evil one is just waiting for us to get to that place there of being irate. He's over here. He's stoking the fire while we're just irritable. He's there in the bitterness. I'm not saying that. But boy, when we hit this spot right here, he is licking his chops. He cannot wait because when we are irate, this doesn't think as well and this doesn't function as it's intended to function. And he has us right where he wants us. And when he gets us there, boom, we can unleash it. And he is thrilled. He loves it when I get irritated, when a little bit of bitterness is going on, but I finally get to that spot and my kids are around. He loves it and he loves for me to unleash it. Scriptures say, don't let it fester. Don't let it grow because you don't want to give the devil an opportunity. He, he's, he's much better than you. Much better than me. Praise God. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. The third thing is to avoid destructive speech and give constructive speech. In our confronting, in our sharing, avoid speech that tears down this other person and intentionally use speech that builds up this other person. Isn't that the first thought that comes to your mind? Right in the midst of your anger, isn't the first thing you're thinking, I wonder how I can build them up right now. How counterintuitive are the scriptures? Lastly, I wrote this one down. 
Um, it's just not a term we use in our house, but, but I wrote it down because it needs to be. Shut your mouth. When you're irate, just don't talk. Pause. Wait. Instead, focus on the grace that is given to you by God and listen to what he says. Speak to others with kind, speak to others with kind, um, tender-hearted way, forgiving them. <laughs> Who does this? Who lives like this where when they are angry, when they have been sinned against, for example, when something wrong has happened, when we get to that spot where we're irrational, who actually lives in such a manner they speak grace in tender-hearted way and forgive others? Who would actually forgive them or they don't know what they're doing? Do you think we have any other option other than to stand in and to look up? How else are you going to deal with your misdirected anger? James chapter 1, verses 19 and 20 says this. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to become angry. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Very quickly, three things here. You see them right off the bat. I memorized it in the old NIV, so this is the way that I keep going. Everyone should be quick to listen. Quick to engage these things. Make sure you get all of the facts. Make sure you get the whole context. Make sure you've got all of the picture that is there as opposed to rushing in and shutting these things off. How many times in a conversation where you're in an argument, you just boop, and you're just buying time till you can finally get that word in. Be quick to listen. Be slow to speak. But I need to tell my boss how it is. I need to tell my coworker what they're doing wrong. I need to tell this guy who was on the project with us. I need to tell this classmate who, who messed it up royally for us. I need to get in and to correct them, to, to ship them and make them, uh, get them to ship shape. I, I want to get them in that place and scriptures say, slow to speak. Don't trust yourself. Quick to listen. Slow to speak. Slow to become angry, slow to unleash this anger. Now, why would we be slow to anger? Because the Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in love. And he tells us earlier that we should be imitators of God. Finally, in Romans chapter 12, this is where we end. Romans gives us some instructions as well. I'll begin reading verse 14, then we'll skip down to verse 17, Romans 12. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Skip down to 17. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Five principles I find in here. 
Number one, bless those who persecute you. He's referring to our speech right now when those are persecuting us, that our speech should come out and we should bless them with the things that we say. Do not curse them. Instead, bless them. Proverbs 15.1, a proverb that I'm having all of my children memorize, mainly because it's so applicable for me. A gentle answer turns away wrath. Bless someone when they persecute. Don't do it in a trite way. I'm not talking about where you're trying to get under their skin by saying, you know, something with rainbows and unicorns. I'm saying bless them. Second principle I see is do not repay evil for evil. In our actions, when evil is done to us, do not repay that evil to them. Number three, make every attempt to live at peace. Make every attempt to live at peace with others. And this is not always going to be possible because sometimes people don't want to be at peace with us. That's okay. It's on their head. Do everything within my power, do everything within your power to live at peace with others. And if they don't want it, it's on them. Number four, leave vengeance to the Lord. I want to end with that one. Number five, I wrote it this way, kill others with kindness. Give to others what they do not deserve, which is grace. Folks, truth number two, Jesus takes on wrath and exchanges it with grace. Jesus takes on the wrath of the Father, the righteous anger that he had because of the sin of the world that was poured out on his son on a cross. He hammers Jesus with his wrath, and in exchange, what Jesus does is he accepts it, he embraces it, and in turn gives to us grace, gives to us what we would never, ever be able to earn and what we certainly do not deserve, and that is a relationship, a sweet fellowship with God himself. Jesus takes wrath and exchanges it grace. So just two closing principles. Number one, repent of your misdirected anger. Repent of it to God and to others. Repent of your misdirected anger. And then secondly, dwell on God's grace that has been freely given to you. I think maybe the best way for us to dwell on God's grace is to remember what it is that he has done on our behalf. I shared this story several years ago and I um, could not think of another way to end this particular sermon and this series in general. So um, I apologize if you've heard it before. Chuck Swindoll wrote this years ago, and I latched onto it. I've altered one thing to make it applicable for our family, but um, this is where I'd love to leave you. Dawson is my oldest son, and I love Dawson. He's playing football right now. It's a bond that we have that we're able to share together. He is playing his brains out, having a good time. And I love I'm spending time with my boy. Now, I love all my children. I don't love any one more so than the other. Uh, but Dawson and I have this bond uh, with sports that's able to uh, enjoy. And from time to time, Dawson um, will get into a situation, a scenario where he may not know this is where he's supposed to be and not be. And let's just say, pretend that we're in the backyard playing one day and Dawson's in the front yard and through my house are two large windows. This is true. There's a back window and a large front door window that you can see all the way through. And let's say Dawson is just playing and hanging out and doing his thing in the front yard. We're in the backyard and then I notice that there's an older kid that comes up in the neighborhood and he takes the bat that hangs out in our front yard because we love to hit things, balls and so forth. He takes that bat and then he beats Dawson 
to death. And I see it happen, and now I have options. I can run into the front yard. I can take that bat out of his hands, and I can return upon him what he did to my beloved firstborn son. And that would be vengeance. Or I can call the police, and the police can come and arrest him, take him through the court systems, and whatever the systems decide, that would be justice. I can go before the judge and I can ask him to just simply drop the charges. We're so tired and want to move on. And if he were to drop the charges, that would be mercy. But if I were to go before that judge and argue for that child who I found out was an orphan, to argue for that child like I argued for all six of my other children, oh, would you allow me to bring him into my home? And give him my last name. And I will clothe him and feed him and hug him and train him and invest in him. I will give him the same love that I lavished on my beloved son. If I were to do that, bring him in and to adopt him into my home, that would be grace. Now, all of us understand to some degree those first two options, and there may be a handful of people that might choose the third, but not a single one of us would choose the last option. And yet, my friends, God does it every single day. How do we deal with our anger? Looking up. Lavishing on the grace that he has poured out on us. Jesus can absorb our anger. And he can exchange it with grace. So for the last time, from Corey Ten Boom. If you look out at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within, you'll be depressed. But if you look at God, you'll be at rest. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for who it is that you are, for what it is that you have done, for how it is that you have lavished your love upon us. Father, I ask that you would give us the supernatural ability to extend to others what you have extended to us. So help us with our misdirected anger. God, help us to have a rightly focused one in the same direction that you do. Most of all, thank you for Jesus who can and will give us the power to do this. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.